song before our sermon this morning, number 364, Because He Lives, the first and third verse. Spirit, another gifts of healing by the one spirit. 
to another one the work of miracles, another prophecy, another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and another the various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one, the same spirit, who portions each one individually as he wills. Verse 12 goes on to say, for just as the body is one and has many members, all the members are the body. Though many, there are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you open our hearts. Prepare us to hear what the Holy Spirit has for each of us. And God, whatever it is, don't let us just hear it. Write it on our hearts. Write it so it becomes so natural just to be part of our everyday walk as we glorify you in all that we do. May the word said today glorify you. Amen. So let's begin by bringing the scripture into context. So Corinth was an important and wealthy city that was separating the northern and the southern sections of Greece. At the conclusion of his visit, Paul left and he went to visit um, Ephesus, Jerusalem, Antioch, and Galatia. But in chapters 12 and 14, Paul is dealing with issues of spiritual gifts. And what he's saying is, rather than them celebrating one another's gifts, these followers of Christ have become critical. And they were concerned more about their own gifts and dismissed those of others. So, the first account of speaking in tongues was Pentecost. You can look that up later in Acts 2, from 5 to 13. But Peter spoke to a crowd composed of people from many nations, and everyone heard Peter's sermon in his or her own language. Now let's look at Pentecost. There could not have been a Good Friday without Advent. Good Friday would be meaningless without the victory on the cross. But it is Pentecost that enables the gifts of our faith by which you and I can be known through the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Those gifts are the gifts of the Spirit, given by the Spirit, to those who walk with the Spirit. Amen. Jesus wasn't finished. When he rose from the grave, he wasn't finished. He came back and gave the greatest gift of all, and that gift is the Holy Spirit that lives with us. So as we look at Pentecost, there are five aspects of receiving God's power. We're going to look at those. So it's the promise of Pentecost. It's the posture of Pentecost. It's the picture of Pentecost, the preaching, and the practice. And I firmly believe that we have many alive churches. We are blessed in this area to have many alive churches. But I also believe that if churches do not possess these five aspects, we need to pray for them. We definitely need to pray. So first, let's look at the promise of Pentecost, to receive God's power. The promise is very straightforward. 
Jesus gave it in his last words to his disciples when he declared, and this is found in Acts 1, if you look at it later. It actually starts in verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You'll be witnesses to the end of the earth. Pretty straightforward. Now the second thing is we're going to look at the posture of Pentecost. This is the posture of receiving God's power. So the biblical records tell us that there's a posture of people who are ready to receive God's power. So we're going to jump around here. So if you want to know these, these scriptures later, we're going to go kind of fast. So we're jumping back to Acts, and this is 1. This is verse 14. And they say, they all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and with Mary, mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were constantly in prayer together, not just for each other with each other. Jumping to Acts 2 in the very first um, verse, it declares that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Church, there's no substitute for Christian community. There is none. Where two are joined together, we know that God is there. When a church body comes together, we are so strong no matter what the enemy throws at you. It might bruise you, so I will take you out. We're meant to do life together in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the third thing we're going to look at is the picture of Pentecost. This is the picture of which people receive God's power. So a little context here. There were three great Jewish festivals that every male was legally bound to be at if they lived in a 20 mile radius. These were Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So, Pentecost fell roughly at the beginning of June, and by this time the traveling conditions were much better. The rainy season had passed, and many scholars believe that because of this, there were more people at Pentecost than Passover. But this feast had two significance, and I think we miss this now. The first one is the historical significance of giving the laws to Moses at Mount Sinai. We must remember that. The second one is, this was an agricultural feast. So at Passover, the first over of barley of the crops would be offered to God. But at Pentecost, two loaves were offered in gratitude for his great harvest that he gave. There's no work to be done this day. And Luke actually paints a great picture for us in Acts 2. It's actually verses 2 through 4. We're going to read just a small bit of it. But it says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down and rested upon each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This wind is the presence of God. This wind has been there with us since creation. It was the wind that Ezekiel spoke of in the Valley of Dry Bones. You can check that out in Ezekiel 37. Jesus used this imagery of the wind of the Holy Spirit when he was describing this to Nicodemus about being born again. We find that in John 3. And in the upper room, the wind was blowing and rushing in, and it was this irresistible force 
because God was bringing his people together individually and corporately. He was birthing the church. Fourth, let's look at the preaching of Pentecost. So there's actually four types of preaching. There's the heralding of the announcement. This is pretty clear. It's a plain statement of the facts. There's no argument. There's no denial. It's cut and dry. Jesus came. He saved. He performed miracles. He died. He rose again. He's coming back. The second is called teaching. And there are many people that are great in the pulpit, but they preach in a teaching style. They explain more of the significance of the facts in order to proclaim the good news. The third one is the exhortation. We have a duty, an obligation, regardless of where we're at, that we are to come out for a scripture ready to go because there are lives hanging in the balance that are looking for hope. You have to be ready. The fourth is a homily. And this is more of which means the, the treatment of the subject or the, the department where the life lives, if you will. If you look at the back of the candles, there's many homilies that are very traditional in our churches. And not just in the Methodist church, but across many denominations. But every church, if it is faithful to Jesus Christ and the scriptures, has a life where all four of these preachings and teachings can be seen. The kind of preaching on this day of Pentecost was to evoke a response. Jumping back to, Act, to Acts 2 and 37, you know, some people say that, that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost that cut straight to the heart. To the point that they were saying, what do we do now? They were so moved by the Spirit and in the presence that they knew they couldn't just go back to their everyday lives. So looking at verse 38 and 39 in Acts 2, Peter actually replied to them, and he said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. We forget that. And for all who are far off of whom the Lord called. I think sometimes we forget what we do the next generations. You stand on the word, it comes natural for generations. When you waver, that seed of doubt is planted for generations. And then fifth, we're going to look at the practice of Pentecost. So Luke shows us four specific practices of a Holy Spirit-filled church. The first is a learning church. It's a biblical church that's committed to being in the word, Iron sharpens iron. We're going to have that discussion. What did the Holy Spirit give you out of this? The second one is a caring church. They're involved in the practices of fellowship. And I can't help but think about the big picture. Come one, come all. Accept as you are for your help. We want nothing in return. The third, you are a worshiping church. You see, these early believers, they met together on a regular basis. They broke bread and they prayed together. They did life together. They worshiped formally in the temples, but also informally in their homes. When I think about this, 
And I'm not digging on the old guys, but I'm, I think of the old guys sitting at Jack's having breakfast. Like, it's fellowship. It's fellowship. It's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what our Christian leaders are supposed to be doing. Living loud and proud for everybody to see. And it does not hurt good when I see that. You worship joyfully when you do that. And you teach generations how to worship open and out loud. The fourth one, you have to evangelize. The teachings are not enough. In Acts 2.47, there's an example given. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were saved. Evangelism became the center of their work on that day. We are called to share the gospel. We're called to share our testimony. It's not about I'll have a back. It's about what God has done in our lives. Because somebody out there is searching for hope. They can relate to where you've been so they know there is hope. There is recovery. There is a better way. We are to evangelize, not just in the church, but everywhere we go. So after a conversation last night, I kind of rewrote the welcome. <coughs> and he gave me a great reminder. Just as we are to remember the importance of Pentecost and Passover and Advent, we have many modern times that are very special to us, and they involve people that are born. For many, it's, it's birthdays. Those are hard sometimes. But there are special days that sometimes only we know. So Paul wrote this in Philippians. It's Philippians 1, and it starts in verse 3. Paul said, I'm, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Whenever I pray for you all, my prayers are always joyful because of the part you have taken in the work of the gospel from the first day till now. We forget to be thankful for those that come alongside us and speak life into us. It goes on to say, of this I am confident that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day that Jesus returns. It is only natural that I should feel this way about you because I have great affection for you, knowing that both while I was in prison and as I have called upon to defend the truth of our faith, you all have shared in this ministry with me. And this is my prayer for you, that you love, your love may grow even richer in knowledge and insight of every kind, enabling you to learn by experience what things really, truly matter. May we, forever, may we never forget those who boldly faced giants of enemies that they did not know in order to protect their loved ones back home. May the peace of Christ always be with their loved ones and with everyone here who has lost someone so dear to them. Dear gracious Lord, there, there's a song that just hits. And for me, it's a great prayer when I don't know the exact words to say. The words, our spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Break us, melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us like the day of Pentecost. Empowering us to be and to do all that you created in our lives. 
by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, God, cleanse the thoughts from our hearts so that we can perfectly love you and worthily glorify your name in all we do. We ask all things in the precious and holy name of yours and Son. Our closing hymn to be number 672. That's a change from what we have originally listed. If you please stand for the closing hymn. And Shannon, this song is for you. Let you know how it feels about you.
I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. My prayer for you is joyful because you've been a part of my life literally from day one. You've been a part of my life before I was even in Kansas City to preach. I'm blessed to witness your gifts and talents that you have come to play for the kingdom. And together, you have served as one body to this community. And my heart overflows with gratitude. How the grace of the Lord Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, may you go in peace. Amen. God bless you.